Welcome back to the Masters Modern Podcast. I am your host, Ben Bateman. This is the other host, Mr. Michael Grothy, and we're here to talk to you today about magic. How y'all doing? Well, it's not a live audience, so that didn't work, but we're excited. To- I'm doing great, Ben. <laughs> I'm back in the studio with my Masters of Modern friends. Yeah, that's that's Marshall, Marsh Unfocused on Twitter, and we're excited to have him here. He's uh, He still is the official producer of the show. He's just off-site most of the time now, but it is nice to have somebody checking the levels. Uh, I've been talking a lot. Michael, how are you? Uh, I'm good. We had uh, another exciting Pioneer Players Tour last weekend. Uh some good viewing some good pioneer tech it was interesting to have the players tours one after the other like that because that never happens with the pro tour right where right, it's like right, right. a pro tour with another pro tour the next weekend but for the players tour you have like extremely high level magic being played then you see the results and then players have a week to prepare for another extremely high level magic event so that was cool to see like how decks adapted and stuff yeah it's interesting you know obviously as a podcast that started five years ago talking about exclusively modern we are now dipping our toe into the pioneer world a little bit we're talking about it a bit more because it does seem to be sort of the premier eternal format at least being played at this moment well it's just it's just new and exciting i think it's a little bit of a brewer's paradise because there isn't like a concrete metagame there's been like some bands to shake it up so that a metagame hasn't really coalesced so everybody's just trying to figure it out yeah Uh, and that's really cool not to mention you know the last this player's tour was pioneer so every like you know all the best magic minds in the world were getting ready for it um so i think i mean i don't think that it's replacing modern by any means i just think it's new and exciting and it's fun to talk about fun to watch and fun to see what's uh what's happening yeah we talked about it a lot of times over the last six months uh really since the introduction of pioneer and since sort of modern hit the post horizons craziness but the power level of modern has just gone up so much now. Yeah. It's such a it's such a linear format in terms of what all the decks are doing and how quickly they're doing it that you like these pioneer decks do feel a lot more like modern from eight years ago. They feel a lot like modern kind of felt like when it started where there were a few things that were being pushed that were really, 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 really good. Obviously, we don't have things that had to get immediately banned like the locust lands or things like that, like. Just because obviously stuff's new. Well, they they did the whole ban list like that. Instead of having an, an opening ban list and then, oops, we missed Cloud Post. Um, instead, they just did totally blank. And then, yeah, there was stuff they had to ban, obviously. They banned, you know, Once Upon a Time and Feel the Dead and Oko and um, other stuff that I'm blanking on, yeah. obviously. I mean, there were a bunch of Pioneer bans. <laughs> There's been a bunch, yeah. So, so they did. I mean, it was kind of like modern where it's like, let's see how this goes. But that was like the whole intent. It wasn't like, here's a ban list. Oops, we missed Blazing Shoal. Because yeah, right, I guess right, right. that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You also wonder with some of those old bans from the beginning of modern, if, if they were to unban some of those cards from the first year. I don't want to play against Blazing Shoal. I don't care if it's good or not. I don't want to play against yeah. that. <laughs> so anyway, guys, we are going to talk today about a bunch of cool stuff. We're going to talk about some of the most underplayed cards in modern. Each of us has a handful of cards that we want to talk about that we think are just like bonkers insane. Probably not quite tier one powerful, but maybe. Uh, and such as that we just think is really, really, really awesome that we want to see more of in modern. We think there should be more of in modern. There's a couple wacky lists to go along with it. Um, but before we get into all that fun stuff, I want to remind everybody here, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, hit that subscribe button, the notification bell, so you know when these videos go up. If you're listening, give us a review on iTunes, and of course, go to patreon.com slash the MMcast. It's such a perfect and awesome way to support what we're doing, because we need your support to keep developing the show, to keep growing the show. Um, and if you want to follow along with anybody that does the show, you can follow me at Ben Bateman Media. I'm at a Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. At the MMcast on Twitter. Um, and that pretty much wraps up our shout out. So I think we should get into the episode. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? 
Sure. So uh, I guess for like underplayed cards in modern, I'm kind of the the research guy on the show. So I actually looked at a bunch of old modern deck lists um, on mggtop8.com because they have like you can select a year. You can be like, what did the modern metagame look like in 2014? And it has like percentages from top events and you can look at some lists. So I looked at a bunch of old modern deck lists and I also looked um, I mean, Pioneer has been on our brain because of the players tours and it's an exciting new format and I've been following it closely. So I most of my list is stuff that I've collected from Pioneer or from, you know, old modern stuff that just like fell by the wayside. Uh, so I guess I want to start with Wild and the Cattle. Okay. Uh, Wild and the Cattle was such a huge player in modern that they banned it at one point. They were like, this card is preventing other aggro decks from getting played like you just can't play an aggro deck without wild and the cattle in it it's so easy to have it be a three three and you just get access to so many powerful spells and the life loss from your lands doesn't matter because you just kill them uh and then it got unbanned because they felt that the format was powerful enough and then wild and cattle didn't get played at all <laughs> yeah it is interesting so if we're talking about just the basic rate um this is something that i talked about a bunch uh, last week because I was doing a, one of our we were doing these videos now on the channel if you guys haven't seen them they're they're called uh, 10 minutes of magic it's like an old series from anchor they're quick like hot takes or whatever we're also yeah. doing a hot take series but um, yeah those are cut <laughs> from the episode but uh, yeah I mean if you're if you're a podcast follower you are missing out on the 10 minutes of magic yeah right? so you should check out the YouTube just to see this new series we got going it's almost never 10 minutes it's more like three to five but the point is last week one of the episodes was Scythe Tiger, building around Scythe Tiger in modern. If you guys have listened to the show for a long time, you know that I have a penchant for that card. I love Scythe Tiger. It's a 3-2 on turn one. It has Shroud. It costs one green when it enters the battlefield. Sacrifice it unless you sacrifice another land. The point there is that it's a three power creature you can play on turn one. And of course, you have to sacrifice a land, but it's very hard to interact with because it has Shroud. So if you're looking at the rate you're going to get on turn one in Magic, and in modern specifically, getting three power on turn one for one mana... There's not that many things that do it. There's no like five, four maybe or something. And if you think of like the premier aggro decks in modern, like Burn or like Eldrazi or something, like Eldrazi aggro or whatever, you, you don't get a rate like that in any of these other decks. You're playing like a 2-2 haste that draws your opponent cards. You're playing like a Monastery Swiss Spear that attacks for one, maybe two the next turn. But yeah, Delver you're not, maybe. You're not attacking possibly. for three on turn two typically. Um, yeah. Maybe with Monastery Swiss Spear, but. You know, you you won't be developing your board in that case, right? Like you can go wild in the cattle into wild in the cattle, wild in the cattle and, and just attack for three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, OK, there are plenty of two ones for one. Right. And there's a two two for one, several of them. But there's not just a vanilla one green three three creature for one mana. That does not exist. They don't want to do that because that's not the right. You're supposed to have to work a little harder for that. Right. And so like looking at some of these old modern metagames from before they banned the cattle, um, when it was like an accepted part of the meta and everybody knew it was a thing and people were playing anger, of the gods to make sure they hit that three toughness and whatever um, you would have like multiple different zoo decks in the metagame. You would have like um, traditional Naya zoo. You'd have like four or five color zoo. And then you'd have like with tribal flames often, which snap. I don't know if any of you listening have snap casted a tribal flames. It's great. It's dope. Yeah, <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> um, and then there was like Death Shadow Zoo even. Um, once people kind of started figuring out that Death Shadow was a good card, you just could throw that into your zoo deck because you're paying so much life to your lands because you're playing like a four color shock and fetch mana base that, well, I'm just going to play some, you know, uh, Gitaxian Probe Street Wraiths and Death Shadows, which you can't play Gitaxian Probe anymore. But I feel like Wild Nicaddle has really fallen by the wayside, especially now that um, 
there's like these death shadow team or battle rage decks. It feels like some type of become immense team or battle rage strategy would be perfect for Nicatl or in some of the like burning tree emissary reckless bushwhacker decks. Yeah. yeah. Nicatl fits right into there as well. You just play like one temple garden and you fetch for it when you draw your Nicatl or whatever, right? Like you can literally just be playing red green with one temple garden or something and like 12 fetch lands and you'll just always have a three, three. <laughs> I think the reason that it doesn't see play anymore is if you look at what people have wanted to do with uh, like an aggressive threat on turn one over the last couple of years, I think hollow one is the best example of what the format was like. Okay. So if I jump through these hoops, I can get a four, four or even possibly two four fours on the first turn of the game. And that's like blitz enough that I should be able to win the game that way. You even look at stuff like stubborn denial and that's rewarding you for having four power instead of three power. It definitely seems like the format has moved in a direction where having just a three, three for one mana that's interactable that can be bolted, obviously just isn't good enough. And I mean, I love the card and I would totally build around it because I've built plenty of decks that just want three power on turn one. But that's why to me, it feels like it doesn't see the play. And the other thing about Wild in the Cattle is you could also just slot it into like a hate bears shell or, you know, anything that has those colors. Like I think the color restriction is much easier to meet than like a discard a bunch of cards restriction or have a bunch of cards in your graveyard for Gurmag Angler restriction or something. But I do think that cards like Hollow One and Gurmag Angler pushed it out a little bit. Because like yeah. if your opponent can play like Tassiger on turn two off of a Thought Scour or something, your 3-3 three, three is a little bit embarrassing. That's the, that's the yeah, the difference of the quality of threat you're getting. Well, I, <laughs> that's a lot on Wild Nakatl. I like, I like Wild Nakatl. Um, but I, 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 I think because it's interactable, that's that's the thing that holds it back. I think the fact that like it's not a hexproof or a shroud creature, it doesn't have protection. I put it on my list because I think it's not playing, seeing enough play. That's so, fair. That's fair. I, I I get that maybe you know I can see where metagames would be unfriendly towards it. I just think the the rate on the card is so powerful, and historically, it's been a card that Wizards has looked at the numbers and been like, "Wow, this yeah. card is just seeing too much play. It's too good. We got to ban it." And I don't know. I mean. I don't know that it's a tier one strategy, but I feel like I should be seeing like I think that Zoo as a deck has the potential to be one of those decks that like we refer to as pillars of the format or whatever, where it's like, yes, the metagame is unfriendly towards Jun. Yeah, but it just top eight at a GP or like the metagame is unfriendly towards Burn because there's like a life gain deck that's really popular or whatever. Or, yeah, or, like a Kitchen Finks deck is really popular, but Burn just top eighted because they just like blasted somebody with. Lightning bolts. Lots I, I bolts. mean, I feel like being able to just blast somebody with wild in the cattles and tribal flames should be something that is good enough for modern. I think but it's totally good enough. And I I, I would wager that wild in the cattle is probably a higher quality card than almost any card on my whole list. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'm going to start with my first card, and that is going to be Wargate. Uh, Wargate, Ooh. one of one of my favorite cards, a card that I've wanted to make work for a long time, always has seemed a little expensive, not quite fast enough. Those of you that don't know what Wargate is, I will explain right now. Wargate is a sorcery uh, from Alara Reborn. It is blue, white, green, X. Search your library for permanent with converted, co- with converted mana cost X or less. Put it into play, then shuffle your library. So... The obvious thing that you can do with it is get a land into play for three mana. Any land from your deck, just onto the battlefield. So if uh, Rampant Growth for two mana is going to search your deck for any basic land, 
put it into play tapped, then Wargate is going to search for any land and put it into play untapped. I mean, so, compared to the raid on like Expedition Map or Sylvan Scrying, you're paying two mana to get a land to your any land to your hand, and then you're spending a land drop to play it. This putting it directly into play is like pretty appealing. It's pretty significant. And I, you also look at some of the cards that you look at some of the cards that have been like over the years um, good in certain strategies. Take a card like Reshape, for instance, right? So Reshape is a card that in Eggs decks would put like a Lotus Bloom into play. Well, this just puts Lotus Bloom into play without sacrificing anything. For three mana, it accelerates you on the third turn into seven mana on turn four. Seems kind of reasonable, seems sort of decent. I think another thing about Wargate that's so cool and why I like it so much is that uh, take take a card like Bring to Light. So Bring to Light's going to cast an instant, a sorcery, or put a creature into play, right? For five mana. So you can search your deck at sorcery speed for a whole bunch of cool stuff. It doesn't reference enchantments. It doesn't reference planeswalkers. In fact, this is one of the only cards in all of Magic and all of Modern that can put a planeswalker from your deck directly into play, right? Like, you, for three mana, you can search your library for a planeswalker. This is just putting it directly into play for three colors. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the difference is that bring to light, the X is kind of baked into the cost of the card. So for five mana, you're getting a five drop. With Wargate, for five mana, you're getting a two drop. I think that's like the big disparity Oh, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt. Like, like bring to light for what it's doing. I would, if bring to light included planeswalkers, then I probably wouldn't think Wargate was as awesome. See, I came to the conclusion of using Wargate because I was trying to come up with the doubling season Jace uh, Architect of Thought deck. Okay. The like everybody knows this idea. That's cool. Yeah. So the whole idea with the deck like that, and this is something that started happening. I think around the time they printed Jace Architect of Thought. Now there's three planeswalkers that do it. Maybe four even. But uh, the idea is the doubling season, because when a permanent enters the battlefield under your control, gets double its counters. Any planeswalker whose ultimate is twice its uh, starting loyalty or more, you can just ultimate the planeswalker, right? So Architect of Thought comes down. If you have doubling season in play, comes down with eight counters on it. You minus eight, search your library and their library for a permanent, put it into play. You get another Architect of Thought. You do it through your whole deck. You get all their best threats. And preferably you have some way to win the game off of your own deck as well. Um, you also can, Nahiri can come down and ultimate right away, searching for Emrakul. Or uh, the the red-green Samut, the one from uh, the Tested, is it? The four-mana one? Yeah, Samut the Tested from, from Our Devastation? Yeah, yeah, and it does a similar thing. Oh, okay, cool. To the Nail Entwined, I think, is her ultimate. Yeah, I think it's, but it may be Planeswalker or Creature. Because I think you can, I think, go, I think you can get right. a bunch of some, so you can do the same. Oh thing. wow, that's that's sick. So I I had seen a deck similar to this. They actually did like a, I think it was a Mox event or not Mox, the Community Cup event where they do kind of like wacky formats, and they yeah. did like a Ravnica block constructed where you used all six Ravnica sets. And okay, this was one of the decks that both teams built because it was like you could only have a certain number of copies across your whole team, um, and so people use like four of their doubling seasons and four of their jaces for like. Uh, this type of deck. I think it was Soltai. They were using like the Vraska as well. Yeah, and, like, that makes sense. But Samet wasn't legal. So I didn't even realize that Samet could do this, but that's awesome. <laughs> yes, Samet is, uh, she has four loyalty and her ultimate minus seven. Search your library up to two creature and or planeswalker cards and put them on the battlefield. Oh, so she stays in play too. Yeah. If you don't win the turn, you go off. But <laughs> Oh yeah, and then Vraska the Unseen is great because her ultimate makes three assassin tokens which doubling season makes six assassin yeah. tokens and they all have player death touch yeah. right so i don't think that that's the best thing you can do in modern but it's maybe the best thing you can do in ravnica block constructed <laughs> well so my whole theory with this and why wargate hit my radar was like i was trying to figure out a way to get doubling season and a way to get planeswalkers and i had so few ways to do it that i was like 
there's lots of big mana decks in modern. I mean, people accelerate into primeval titans and, and you know, hour of promises and all these big five and six mana spells a lot. It's a thing people do. So why not just try to build this deck? And then I was like, Wargate's like just the business. Well, and it ramps you. And because Wargate gets you Lotus Bloom, and you probably want to play Lotus Bloom in this deck anyway because your spells are so expensive, on turn three, you just Wargate for Lotus Bloom. So here's like the play in the deck that on, on testing I figured out. So the big breakthrough for me was when I realized that Pentad Prism is the card you want in this deck. Because turn two, Pentad Prism hits a turn three doubling season, which means that on turn four, right, you can just go, or wait, what was it? It's a, uh, how did this work? It's it's Lotus Bloom on turn four is the thing you want because Lotus Bloom gets you to seven. So you cast your, your doubling season or whatever. And then a Pentad Prism comes down for four. You play it for two, but it accelerates you, it doubles, and that plays any of your format of Planeswalkers. Whatever the math is, there's a way that, like, with uh, with your, like, you know, two mana open, you basically are able to just turn that two into the Planeswalker, the turn. Yeah, so it's so funny that you mentioned Pentad Prism, because I remember that, like, um, that that felt to me like a card that glued together a lot of these janky combo decks, where yeah. it's like, oh, I just don't have enough mana. For, like, my combo is just too expensive. It costs, like, seven mana or whatever, but it's like, wait... Pentad Prism will get me to seven mana. And like the one combo deck that like broke out using Pentad Prism was Adnaz, where Adnauseum needs six mana for its combo. Right. Or eight if you're going off of Phyrexian on life. Um, and so it was like, oh, it's just a little bit too expensive to be good. And Pentad Prism was the card that glued it together. And I feel like that's true for like so many yeah. janky combo decks that I've seen people brew in modern where it's like, ah, oh, things are just a little bit too expensive. Pentad Prism. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was just it, it does make sense because. Either you Wargate on turn three into your Lotus Bloom, hitting seven mana on turn four, which means you then spend five of it to cast the doubling season and the remaining two to cast a Pentad Prism for four that ends up playing any of the four mana Planeswalkers and you win the game on turn four. And that's whether or not you Wargate for it or you just suspend Lotus Bloom on turn one. Either way, turn four with the Wargates and all the things just wins the game. So in this deck, are you playing like um, like Birds of Paradise or anything? So I thought about it so you could like turn to Wargate. Is that, the, is that the idea? Because the deck plays zero creatures other than the fatties. Got it. Because um, currently, like, the list that I had built, um, I was trying to figure out the best ways. I think Force of Negation is good in this deck. I like the idea that you can tap out for a doubling season and then, like, any of your extra copies of, say, Wargate or extra Jaces or, you know, Serum Visions, whatever, can save you and make sure you can win the next turn. And I also think some of, like, like Swan Song is an interesting option here. Because if you tap out on turn two for a Pentad Prism and they try to do something, you can still use the Pentad Prism to just counter something. You don't really care if they have a 2-2, two -two, you're going to win the game. So, like, feels like the probably the most efficient, cheapest modern counterspell um, for what you're doing. Because Spell Pierce obviously is, like, a better card just in general, except that you don't want to be playing Spell Pierce when they can actually pay for it. I mean, I like, yeah, Force of Negation. It's, it's funny because now that we have, like, a Force of Will variant in Modern, it's so funny because there's so many times in Legacy where people are talking about a card and they're like, yeah, it's pretty good. But worst case, you just pitch the Force. Yeah. Well, it's the same with Wargate, right? Like, if you're stumbling on mana or, like, you know, Wargate's a little bit too slow for the matchup or whatever, it's like, oh, well, it pitches the Force. It's fine. So my, my, <laughs> my favorite part about the list I put together is, you know, the, the winning threats are two copies of Emrakul. That's the big one because the, the last copy of your your giant jace thing you're just going to get nahiri and then just pull emrakul and just attack because if you don't have the deck doesn't currently have some way to just give all your things haste so like you don't want to give them a turn to respond and generally speaking if you attack with an emrakul you'll just win the game yeah but if they have like an ensnaring bridge or something like that there's a single copy of nickel bolus planeswalker in the deck because nickel bolus planeswalker with doubling season comes down and just immediately ultimates <laughs> and minus nining a nickel bolus planeswalker is so good plus it's blue so you can pitch it to your force of negation so I was like, <laughs> pitches the force. That's the secret to this deck. Well, and also with Nickel Bull as Planeswalker, if you're like putting Lotus Bloom into play, you can just like 
tap for triple black cast it sometimes that's right? my that was the that's like the whole entire reason i was like this will be a fun deck to build because with all the ramp with the pentad prisms and the lotus blooms there's going to be games where you just cast one of these giant things and probably just win the game well also keep in mind what happens if you so you get your doubling season you try to resolve a planeswalker they counter it now you're kind of stalling out maybe you play another planeswalker then you draw like another pentad prism just mid game and you just cast it for four it's like even better than a lotus bloom anyway Getting up to the high mana total in this deck doesn't seem that unreasonable. You just don't have that many ways to control the game or survive. Anyway, this is all this to say that I think Wargate is really awesome and I think should be played more because I think it does a lot of really cool stuff. And that's why Wargate was the first card on my list. Strong agree. This <laughs> this deck also has like doubling season though. Yeah. I mean like Wargate is the card that's on your list, but maybe doubling season is a card that like is I, powerful enough for modern that hasn't been getting played. They were both on my list. I didn't feel it was fair to just go from <laughs> one to the other. So I just decided I would talk Wargate and just, you know, shove it, in doubling season it is interesting that on doubling season that doubling season is kind of roundly considered one of the stronger cards in like commander especially in super friends because of this exact reason so many planeswalkers get to ultimate the turn they come into play if you have doubling season but your doubling season is the ultimate poster child for incredibly powerful card that does nothing when you play it right. and that's its downside 100 well i think the pentad prism is maybe the secret to like doubling season does nothing but you can save pentad prism mana for like play doubling season and give you an extra mana boost to play something else or like you said if you can have two mana left over to play the prism post doubling season then you can you can cast basically any of the planeswalkers that help you go off in your deck the other version of this deck that i would build is probably the it's probably like the non-Wargate version, honestly, and I think it's just the blue-green flash version where the only non-flash cards you're playing in the deck are the fatties, the planeswalkers, and the doubling seasons. But that's like the growth spiral version that's going to just like basically try to every single turn just counter things and just hit your land drops um, and then just cast a big thing. That And probably, you know, counter magic to back it up and whatnot. But I, I like know, this version I, I like I, th I think I like this version better, too. I mean, I like that you have these huge bursts of mana that... that allow you to doubling season plus something in the same turn and like the the classic doubling season in commander thing is the tamio from eldritch moon whose yeah. name i'm blanking on um but field researcher tamio field researcher right because she uh ancestral recall plus in omnisciences when she ultimates and you can ultimate her off a of doubling season i mean it's interesting because like you she's like not as good as jace architect of thought in this deck yeah which is interesting, but she's like another consideration where she's like a four mana planeswalker that with doubling season comes in ultimates, does something busted. And she's in Wargate's colors. Yeah. And, and she can cast the Emrakul if it's in your hand, right? I think like, also, if I remember correctly, if you play five mana Tamiyo, she also ultimates immediately. Yeah, um, I don't know. I guess like she... The thing is, like, a lot of times you're not going to have mana left over after exactly. you do this combo. So, like, her, you, like, you play your Jace, you get another Jace, you sacrifice it, it goes to your hand. It doesn't matter that much because you can't cast it again, probably. But, yeah. So, that's my that's my uh, my first card. Um, what you got next? So, my next card uh, that I want to talk about is uh, stuff we've been seeing in Pioneer. And I actually did see a modern inverter list that looks pretty interesting, but like Inverter of Truth being one of the major pioneer decks breaking Huge out after these pro right tours. Now. And I'm kind of going to lump it in with Underworld Breach. <clears throat> Will you kind of explain just so people understand what the inverter deck is? Because I think it's... Yeah, so we talked about it on the episode last week, but if you skipped it because you don't care about Pioneer, uh, here's the breakdown. Inverter of Truth, uh, it exiles your library and then you shuffle your graveyard into your library. So you your graveyard becomes your library, your library is gone. Uh, and then the deck in Pioneer typically wins with Thassa's Oracle or Jace Wielder of Mysteries, um, which if you have no cards in your library and you draw a card, instead of losing the game, you win the game. 
uh, Thassa's Oracle is a little bit different. It's when it enters the battlefield. You look at the top X cards of your library where X is your devotion to blue, put one on top, the rest on the bottom in a random order. And if that, uh, if your devotion to blue is equal to greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. So the idea is you invert, you delve out your graveyard with like a dig through time or something. You inverter to have like two cards left in your library. And then you like draw them with draw cards, like draw spells. And then you play Thassa's Oracle and you win the game or Jace wielder of mysteries, whatever. Um, so it's making a big splash in Pioneer in part because you have access to Dig Through Time. Dig Through Time is like a great delve spell that finds your combo and digs out your graveyard so that you can win faster with Inverter. Because if you Inverter with like an eight card library or an eight card graveyard, it's going to take you a little bit longer to, to dig through that and win the game. Um, but Dig Through Time kind of does double duty in that way. But that said, I mean, I think that the combo seems, especially with Thassa's Oracle, seems powerful enough for modern, um, especially because Inverter of Truth is like a 6-6 flying, which can block and buy you time or it can beat them down. Like if you end up with an eight card library and it's going to take you a while to win the game, um, Inverter can just beat them up. Or also like you can dig out your graveyard with Tassiger, which is like a fine control card that also... um, you know, the, the decks that have been getting played in Pioneer are like a blue-black control deck with this combo in it because it's just a two-card combo. You can really kind of fit it in any shell. Blue-black control was just the one that emerged as the top dog, although there was like a blue devotion deck that just splashed Inverter. I do not have the best version in my mind for Modern, but I did see an Inverter list that somebody was trying out in Modern, and I feel like it deserves to be explored. And, and same with Underworld Breach. I feel like the bigger card pool in Modern has got to be friendly to Underworld Breach. Again, I think it's going to take some like real brewing strength and testing to figure out what the best build of Underworld Breach in Modern is. Yeah. But the deck is so powerful in Pioneer, um, and it's not as reliant on Dig Through Time. It just needs a little bit of card selection to find its combo pieces, and then it can win. Um, the Underworld Breach deck, what it's doing is a little more complicated. They're using Lotus Field and then one other land. And then you hidden strings to untap your both your lands, which hidden strings is Ben Bateman favorite. Love hidden strings. Uh, you you untap both your lands, so now you're like netting four mana. And then the previously they've been using chronic flooding, but at uh, players two or Phoenix Channel Fireball, the Channel Fireball team um, was all playing this version where you Fay of Wishes for a Tome Scour, and then so two of your mana is hidden strings make four mana, and then you Tome Scour yourself. And then you Tome Scour yourself again. Then you hit in strings to like make four. And then you Tome Scour yourself twice. Then you use the last two to hit in strings. Because um, the, the Tome Scours make enough, put enough cards in your library that you can keep casting things out of your graveyard with Underworld Breach. And the hidden strings makes mana. So then you can get your whole library in your graveyard. And then you can do whatever you want. And this was, this was over this last weekend? For this? Yep, at Phoenix. So last Thursday, there was a video posted on this channel by me as a 10 minutes of magic on why tome scour needs to be played more in modern now i know that's pioneer uh but but i no no in fact i'm sorry it was in pioneer it was a sultai tome scour deck that i put together that i thought was amazing and nobody watched it it was the least viewed of the episodes i was blown away i was like this is so i love this card and then of course it was the breakout card wow that's pretty that's pretty darn cool y'all youtube fans are just leaving genius on the table crazy uh yeah so so i think that both Inverter a little bit less so, but Underworld Breach is a deck that it's an obviously powerful card. I mean, the comparisons to Yawgmoth's Will are obvious, and in a lot of situations, it's better than Yawgmoth's Will. I mean, if you just swapped this card out in the decks that it's in right now with Yawgmoth's Will, the decks wouldn't function because right. they need to be able to cast the same card multiple times out of your, out of their graveyard, and Yawgmoth's Will can't do that. 
So like we have Yawgmoth's Will in Modern. It's a combo that works in Pioneer. How, what is the best configuration for Modern? Do you need this Lotus Field thing? Or are there enough rituals in Modern that you can just mm. get by with rituals and Manamorphoses? Because Manamorphoses is also not in it's Pioneer. It's sort of a take on, it's just basically kind of a take on Storm in some ways. Right. I mean, the Underworld Breach deck would be a take on Storm. I, I, I think the appeal of the card is, and really the Pioneer version is kind of a take on Storm. You're just milling your whole library and winning with either Thassa's Oracle or you have enough mana. Uh, the, ch- the Channel Fireball um, team version also got rid of the Thassa's Oracle and they were playing Expansion Explosion as their wing con. Because uh, okay. you can net enough mana off this combo. Once once you're like going off and you have a ton of cards in your graveyard, you can just start like, um, you know, doing, you can like, pour over the pages to net mana and like you can net mana in more ways that eventually you like have a ton of mana and you can just explosion them to death. They were also playing a Jace wielder of mysteries in the sideboard that you okay. could wish for with Fay of wishes. Um, and then you could win with that. So they weren't playing Thassa's Oracle, but there's like enough ways to win with your whole library in your graveyard and you can cast any of those cards. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that it, you know, like maybe grape shot is one of the win conditions in modern. Maybe they do the wishboard thing. Maybe the wishboard thing is too slow and just well the one grape shot's your main win con. Maybe you play a Thassa's Oracle. Um, Feels like you can turbo the deck a little more easily. Yeah, there's probably more ways to untap lands, which you might know better than me. There's like I, mean, I can't believe the hidden strings has already entered this conversation and I didn't suggest it because <laughs> I, I literally spent two hours last week trying to come up with some way to use hidden strings in a video for this channel and I couldn't come up with something I thought was good enough to make a video. Yeah, of. so so at Phoenix I did see somebody <laughs> cipher hidden strings onto Fay of Wishes, because Fay of Wishes is just a two mana flyer. Yeah. Right? And that's a perfect hidden strings target. And it's a 1-4, right? Like, yeah, dodges yeah. Bolt, not that Bolt's in Pioneer. But it dodges Lightning Strike, which is getting played in Pioneer. So I, I always try, when I do the <laughs> hidden strings decks, to come up with some Invisible Stalker, Solana Ledgewalker deck, where I'm going to like turn to it and then like be able to do something with my mana uh, in combat, where like I you know tap the lands, connect, untap again. Like I don't know. That's always what I want to do. But I could never figure out. I figured like, maybe... Something that you could sing, you know. Flash Engine Cataxius, right? Yeah, yeah some That's, sort of. Isn't that the uh, Sword of Feast and Famine? Uh, oh, is that something people do? Like, if you have five lands. It's commander play. Marshall, big commander player, yeah, so we're going to get the commander scoop here. Right, if you have five lands and five lands are more in play, and you have a creature with uh, Sword of Feast and Famine, if you, in the combat damage step, put the Feast and Famine trigger on the stack, tap all five of your lands, they untap, tap all five of them again, you have ten mana in your mana pool, Flash and Gingataxias. Dope. <laughs> that's a modern play if I've ever heard one. Um, <laughs> so that's that's awesome. I think that sounds like a really fun deck. I mean, I'm really excited to see. We've classically talked about, you know, how do you make legacy strategies work in modern, so now it's going to be interesting to see how do modern strategies work in Pioneer and vice versa. One thing I'd like to throw in there, that one card that modern has access to in this vein that Pioneer doesn't is Leveler. And for a long time, people have been talking about whether or not a mono blue Leveler deck, when Jace Wielder Mysteries came out, there was some talk about like, oh, between Jace and Labman, now we have two ways that like Leveler, and there was some talk about like you could also still be playing like Trickbind or Nimble Obstructionist, yeah. so that if you wanted to just go on the Leveler beatdown plan, you could, and those cards are not bad in a fetch land format. Right. But now... Because Thassa's Oracle kind of wants you to go all in on blue, you could theoretically make a mono blue control combo deck with Leveler. As I saw, I saw a blue moon shell that was playing Leveler and Jace Wielder of Mysteries because Jace Wielder of Mysteries is just a fine four mana planeswalker. Draws a card every turn. It mills yeah. you to like give you some Snapcaster fuel or delve fuel for Logic Knot or whatever. Um, and then 
if you have the leveler, that wins the game. Because a lot of the Blue Moon decks are just a big pile of card selection and permission and Lightning Bolts. And then they're looking to win the game either with like Snapcaster Lightning Bolt Beatdown or some two-card combo, be it Through the Breach or Splinter Twin obviously was the original yeah. one. But <laughs> um, And Leveler Jace was was an option. The one thing I will say about J- Leveler with um, Thassa's Oracle is that's like a seven-mana combo because Leveler exiles your entire library right on the spot. Inverter, you can actually untap and you have a couple of draw steps to win, so you don't have to have the full six mana up front. Um, with Leveler, you have to have the full seven mana up front, which is kind of a lot. But if you're a control deck, you'll hit seven. So maybe it's a consideration. I, I liked it with Jace in particular because with Jace, Jace is a four drop. Theoretically, you can go four, you know, turn four Jace, draw, turn five, Leveler, uh, activate Jace, I win. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, I think that we're obviously this space being explored more and more now is something that we're going to see in both formats just because we have the, the Oracle now existing is a more consistent and cheaper way to be able to win the game. Yeah, it's already us. getting played in Ad Nauseam, which yeah. is a deck that it just slotted into over Lab Maniac because it's not as vulnerable to Lightning Bolt or Fatal Push. So or whatever. Our, our ice cold take from a few weeks ago of Thassa's Oracle is better than Lab Maniac was, uh, was, was frozen cold. <laughs> now it's more of a no duh take. Uh, but so I, because we don't have that much time today, I do want to jump into the next card here so we can keep talking. Um, I'm going to go back to the well on a card that I've loved for a long time. And, and what I really want to say, what I want to say is that Nicol Bolas, uh, the Ravager is the card that I want to use, but I don't actually think that's the answer because the only way I'm going to convince you guys to use this card is by going back truly to the well, which is the card training grounds. So for one blue enchantment training grounds activated abilities of creatures you control are reduced by two colorless mana there's a billion cool things that you can do the best way to take advantage of training grounds is you find creatures that are already pretty good that have a cost of one colored mana and two colorless and get them in play so that you have some really good effect that you're just getting over and over again for one mana um now Initially, I got excited about doing this with Nicol Bolas the Ravager because I love the idea that you play this 4-4 flyer on turn 4. He costs red, black, blue, 1 for a flying 4-4 creature that when he enters the battlefield, each opponent discards a card. And then on turn 5, you slam your 5th land and you just transform him automatically. You just pay 5 and he flips. You can attack first, get in for your damage, yeah, and, and flip. And when he flips, he's pretty darn good. He's a, he's a really good Planeswalker when he flips. Um, so, But that's asking a lot. It's asking that you be able to just like resolve a 4-4 that doesn't get interacted with you've already played a training grounds that hasn't been interacted with you flip the card and they don't just like i don't know have a assassin's trophy or something like that like yeah i mean that's the thing is like play your four drop untap with your four drop win on turn five is something that you can do with a lot of strategies including jace wielder mysteries leveler for example (laughs) yeah but uh, that's and he's not the best way to use it but i did come up with at one point this cool idea for a deck that was going to take advantage of training grounds and nickel bolus and pack rat pack rat is to me like Probably the single most awesome way to use Training Grounds because if you play turn one, Training Grounds, turn two, Pack Rat, and then on turn three, let's say you have like an Urborg in your deck or something like that, you may just be staring down your opponent and just be like, I'll just dump my entire hand and untap with 16 power on my turn. Good luck. Um, That's like an actually really good turn three play. I know Jerry T made a deck at one point that he was testing out online doing this. Um, I like the idea of this being a Grixis deck where you have Nicol Bolas as your top end because I just think like... A 4-4 four, four for 4 that makes them discard a card when it enters is fine. It's not, like, amazing. It also pitches to Force. It does pitch to Force. I don't know if we're playing Force in this deck, so but... So does Training Grounds. Now, and whenever they, we talk about a janky, expensive blue card, I'm going to say it pitches to Force. I feel is, like that's the thing. We now. didn't have well, Force I think Negation back when I thought about this. Thing I think it's now. also really important because 
uh, most of most of these decks, most of the Ben Brews are the I'm a tap out to do something awesome, and if you can't answer it, I win the game. And Force of Negation is that I'm going to tap out to do something awesome, and if you can't stop my Force of Negation from stopping you, I win the game. Well, the problem with that though is that if they do it on your turn, you're screwed. Um, yeah, and that's and end step, you know, fetch fatal push is right. Is rough is a, is a very real concern. But I do think because like the biggest thing that holds back basically most of the concepts that I come up with, most of the things that I think are really cool is that there's not a cheap enough way to consistently get the one card that I need to make the deck work efficiently in the early turns of the game. Training grounds being another great example of how do you get training grounds in your hand on turn one every game? Same conversation with Aether Vial in the old Superior Index. How do you always start the game with an Aether Vial? If you start the game with Aether Vial, you almost never lose those games. It would probably be the same with this deck. If you could always start the game with training grounds in your opening hand, there's enough things that are great with training grounds, but there's only four copies of training grounds in the deck, and there is no enlightened tutor or something like that in this format. So you, you're in a position where you really need to have the card. But you will guys will find with training grounds the sheer number of things that are good with it. I mean, just training grounds with ballista is already really good. Like, it's just good. Like, it's generally really good. It makes so many so many cards that you have access to in modern, really, really powerful. When the London Mulligan, I think, helps these types of brews as well, where it's like, I really need to find this one card on turn one or two, and I just, you know, there's not enough cheaper free card selection. Well, the London Mulligan is free card selection. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these ideas that I, like a couple years ago, was like kind of all in on have changed. London Mulligan now exists. Obviously, um, you just said force. So many of the things I come up with are blue. <laughs> so having really bad, like an extra copy of Training Grounds in this deck is not something you want. So pitching it to training to uh, force of negation sounds wonderful. But yeah, I do think Training Grounds is probably the card that I would focus on more than any of the others. I do think Pack Rat is kind of underplayed. I think the card is pretty good. Um, it's a little expensive to use. But examples like this prove why, like, it's pretty good. It's pretty, uh, pretty powerful. Yeah. So in that vein, um, I, I actually didn't end up on my list, but it was something I was thinking about. So I'm going to mention it. Uh, similar to Training Grounds, I think Heartless Summoning is a card um, mm. that I feel like has never really had a breakout deck in modern. It feels like something that's not ever going to be tier one, but it feels like something that would like five Oh some leagues every once in a while and like be something that people are talking about. And I feel like it never has been. I mean, the modern card pool is pretty friendly to heartless summoning. I think heartless summoning is for those that don't remember from Instrad, I believe it's yeah. one black, one colorless enchantment uh, creatures. You control got minus one, minus one and uh, your creatures cost two colorless less to cast. Um, but it can fully reduce if you had a creature that, you know, mirror superior, for instance, is free. Just comes down as a four or five for free, um, which you know that's what Ben is all about is free <laughs> mere superions. But so that's the thing is there's two ways to play Heartless Summoning. You get a discount on your big, highly impactful creatures, your mere superions or your Git Rug monsters or your, you know, um, Grave Titans or Worm Coil Engines or whatever. Right? Like you can just play big, huge creatures for cheap, um, and that is cool. Or you can uh, combo. Uh, so you can like have you can loop two mirror retrievers with like a with like a um, a um, reckless fire weaver or something. reckless fire weaver. Yeah, I was I blood artist was the first thing that came to mind, but it's a zero one. So it dies. But yeah, with a reckless fire weaver or something like that, something that cares about creatures entering or dying or even like a, the new Daxos or whatever. Yeah, right. Being a two two soul sister, you gain infinite life. Um, it feels like I mean, I mean, even in standard, there was a combo with having lich and. Um, I remember this, yeah. Yeah, so having Go Lich is a 5-mana 4-4 four, four 
which is a bad body. And then you could pay one mana to cast target creature. You can cast target creature from a graveyard this turn. Uh, it's a, if you if you do, it's a zombie in addition to its other types or something. So it's like a five mana card that asks you and to. And then having Goldwitch gains all activated abilities of that creature. Of that, sure, I forgot about that. That's not relevant to this combo. <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> so in standard, you could play it with uh, Perilous Mirror, which is a two mana one right. when it dies, you yeah. shock. So you could just like having Goldwitch now costs three, so you can play it the turn after you Heartless Summoning. Is it three mana three three? Yep. Which is much better than a five mana four four. And the next turn, you can like shock for free. Pay one shock, pay one shock, pay one shock, yeah, and you just, just pick off their guns. whole board, machine gun their face. Yeah. Um, but in modern, we have access to like infinite combos, like with Mirror Retriever and stuff like that. Not to mention, like, you could just do that combo, and it's probably going to be good enough to win any creature matchup. I think Heartless Summoning is a good example of a card that, because it costs two or less, like most of most of the conversation when you're talking about a build around card, something that you need to it, it actually has a chance to be good in modern if it costs two or less. As soon as it starts to cost more than two, it gets weird. It starts to get very, very hard to sequence your turns you in a like way. like Pentad Prism or something? It, yeah, and it's hard, it's hard to sequence your turns because like, if you're going to tap out on turn three for anything that doesn't just win the game, by the time you're getting to the fourth turn, you probably are so far behind. Um, your opponent has an Urza in play or something with Archmage's Charm up or whatever. Like, and your like, opponent's doing something nasty at that point. If you've gotten <laughs> double thought seized or something like that, they're going to get that and the thing they took in the first place. Like, there's just a lot of things going on that work against you. Um, but I do, I do think that Heartless Summoning is sweet. Is that your next one? Uh, I would like it to be now. Okay. So it didn't make my list, but it was something I was thinking about, and I just forgot to put it on it my feels list. But like when you said training grounds, I was like, ah, oh, two mana discount. I love two mana discounts. Yeah. Um, so the other thing about Heartless Summoning is that enchantments are still pretty resilient and modern. I would say that artifacts less so because of Coligan's Command. Now, Coligan's Command is a little bit on the downswing right now, but I do think it's like a card that's ever lurking and sometimes... So like Isochron Scepter almost made my list, for example. Oh, I but I think like Coligan's, Coligan's Command, the chance that your opponent could be playing it is just so brutal to ice crown scepter that it makes it almost unplayable not to mention like cryptic command can bounce it or whatever and you're just because ice crown scepter is a card that did get played when i was looking at old modern decks there were ice crown scepter decks in the format that you would just put like you know a lightning helix on it or something or like even silence or whatever and like yeah that was that was reasonable at the time now i, I just think the format is a little too unfriendly to artifacts but i you know heartless summoning being an enchantment that you also don't have to two for one yourself to play um makes it it's a lot more resilient still in modern because we don't have Colgan's command for enchantments unless you count Jamoka's command which doesn't really get played and, <laughs> and heartless doesn't get hated on by collector Oof for stony silence which are just good catch-alls sure. right exactly side. yeah it's like people will just have those in their sideboard and they'll bring them in now i do think that people are playing enchantment hey people will be bringing in nature's claim or abrupt decay or whatever and fine but you know, you don't have to two for one yourself to play it the way you do for Ice Crown. So it's not a big deal if your Heartless Summoning dies. You can just cast your stuff yeah. and hopefully win that way. I mean, Mirror Retriever gets very bad. The combo version gets bad. But if you're playing it to ramp out like a Gitrog monster or some other big threat, um, it's fine. What's the name of the, the plane? Uh, like the red card three drop creature puts a planeswalker directly into play? Plane bound accomplice. Is he a three drop? He is, right? I will look that up real quick. Yeah, the one from Modern Horizons. I believe it's a three drop. You pay one red to put it into play. Yeah. So it feels like a four drop because you want to be able to. So, okay. So I I love the idea of this deck. Turn two Heartless Summoning. Turn turn three Plane Bound. It is a one three. It's a one three. So it's got the butt. So now it's a zero two and you have two mana open to just put two giant Planeswalkers into play that turn. That seems kind of good, right? Yeah. It doesn't sound bad. That sounds pretty sweet to me. And you're in... in, uh, 
Rakdos, which is a really strong color pair in modern. I yeah. feel like Rakdos is one of the, if not the strongest, one of the strongest color pairs. There's probably in modern. also, if you wanted to go into a third color. Because you can go turn one Thoughtseize into turn two Heartless into turn. Yeah, I mean, I think in any Heartless summoning deck, you want some Thoughtseizes to clear the way or at least get the lay of the land of your opponent's hand to figure out if it's safe to go for your combo or if it's safe to just play a Gitrog. Because, like, if your opponent just has, like, a Terminate in hand, then it, maybe you're going to. You're either going to thought seize it or you see they have a terminate plus a whatever, like Liliana the Veil or something. You're like, okay, I'm not going to go for my big creature on turn three. I'm going to play it slow. I'm going to sculpt my hand a little bit. You know, Um, we just have a couple more here, guys, before we get out of here. So um, I will jump in with my next one and I will say this is an old favorite. This is not as wonky as some of the ones I come up with. Uh, Spreading Seas. This is a card that used to see a ton of play in modern. This was a standard all-star. It's one blue, one colorless enchantment aura. Um, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. Enchanted land is an island. So there's actually, historically, there's always been a bunch of decks that want their lands to be very specific in modern. Obviously, Tron being prob- probably the all-time most prominent. You also have the all the decks with the, the bounce lands. Um, yeah, making their bounce land into an island is pretty funny. It's pretty good. now it, they like bounce to land to get this double land into play. Well, now it taps for one. Yeah, <laughs> even like just spreading seas in a against Grixis Shadow is kind of good. Like their mana base is very specific. So taking them off black, uh, taking them off red sometimes can make a huge difference if they don't have the ability to just get where they need to get to. Um, spreading seas just in general is going to do way more for most people than they realize. Like that's why it was always a favorite card for people is because just the the difference of you know taking somebody off their plan the next turn. And again, the opportunity cost is so low. Like it's two mana, it cycles, it draws a card. I also think one of the reasons the spreading seas is so good is because it's it's flickerable and we keep getting more and more things that do that specifically in the last couple of years we got felidar guardian felidar guardian obviously is a card that has an infinite combo just built into the format so being able to just go infinite with saheli and felidar guardian in modern is great um but then if you're playing that in a deck that's two drop is spreading seas seems pretty good too I like the idea you also of my, like bounce and replay a spreading seas with Teferi uh, Time Raveler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've seen people do that, actually. Um, so, Sweet. yeah, I think I think spreading seas is like probably the best card on my list in terms of just actual power level. For some reason, it seems like people have kind of gone away from it. I think it's better when the format is slower, like back when we were seeing a lot more mid-range decks. Uh, now that the format is like tends to be like a good amount of aggro and combo. I mean, obviously, there's like more controlling decks, but a lot of the controlling decks are leaning on like snow mana, like the Urza decks mm-hmm. and stuff that you are not able to mess up somebody's mana bases easily. Um, but I do think that like with Amulet Bloom being a big player and then Tron is like eternally going to be a big player. Um, That's very good against Jun, by the doesn't way. Doesn't seem terrible. Yeah. I mean, decks like three color decks with shaky mana bases. I just think we're seeing less of those. Yeah. We're also seeing less decks where like a two mana sorcery speed thing that like maybe messes them up is not um not where you want to be at, yeah it's 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 certainly like i think a little underpowered but i just think that there are enough things that interact with it and take advantage of it that are already good that that feels like a card that i could see, see and like it's also gotten played in merfolk um, yeah. historically because giving them an island so that all your creatures are unblockable is, really is powerful yeah. and then the fact that you can put them off of a color or you can you know get their bounce land or get their tron land or whatever was worth it but um Real quick, I think one thing that came to my mind when you guys told me about today's topic was the cards strong enough to get a whole lot of cards banned in standard, the energy, all the energy cards. Yeah. Why do you think it is that energy was strong enough to so mess up standard they had to ban like five cards out of it, but it hasn't made a peep in modern? Or Pioneer. 
or Pioneer even. Isn't isn't uh, Marvel legal in Pioneer? Yeah, we were talking about that last last episode. So it's like a, it, I think that Marvel is the biggest like cool thing about the way they did the ban list because for a lot of people, I mean, I think that the Delve draw cards, we might see them banned in the next year. I wouldn't yeah. be incredibly surprised because they're, they kind of warped the format around themselves a little bit. And we're already starting to see that with these super powerful combo decks leaning on Dig Through Time. But um, like Marvel strikes me as a card that like would have been on the ban list if they had started this out the way they started out modern, where they're like, well, let's look at cards that were too powerful and extended. Let's ban them all. So with Pioneer, they're like, let's look at cards that were too powerful and standard and let's ban them all. And Marvel would have been gone. But now I think Marvel has proven itself to be like not quite good enough, which yeah. means it's a card that you can brew around because you know the power level's there. It was there in standard. You can just cast Emrakul the Promised End for four mana with it, right? I mean, <laughs> or Ulamog Ceaseless Hunger or whatever. So it feels like a card that is now fair game to like start brewing and it's not so powerful you have to worry about it getting banned, which I think is great. I think it's awesome that it's in the format and that you can do these like cool, unfair things. Yeah. And Marshall and I were talking about this. People are playing Lost Legacy over Unmoored Ego um, in sideboards and it doesn't hit Marvel. So, you know, obviously if Marvel was a big player, people would switch. But if you're like taking this as to FNM as like a sweet, you know, spin the wheel, see if you get an Ulamog deck, uh, people are going to be like, oh no, this lost legacy in my sideboard because I was net decking from the Pro Tour. Uh, and I, Because I think part of it was that you can cast it off of Lotus Field, so some of the Lotus Breach decks were playing it in their Wishboard over yeah. on Mordigo because you can just tap for black, 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 cast it. And in general, it does the same thing as on Mordigo in the format. There's not many lands you want, there's not really any lands you want to hit except maybe Lotus Field. Yeah. And there's not really any um, artifacts you want to hit. But Marvel flies under the radar in that way yeah i think um my last card that i'll throw out there is a card that actually is seeing a little bit of play right now in one specific deck and that is unsettled mariner um, this is a card that was from modern horizons it's blue white it's a changeling um whenever an opponent targets a creature you control that is it just a creature you control counter that spell or ability unless they pay one yeah right so this is like sort of the ultimate tribal hate bear card um it's a good thing that they printed it into two colors it means that you really have to be pretty aggressive with your mana base to just slot it into whatever deck you want obviously humans takes great advantage of this card it's now played in humans decks i think pretty traditionally as a two or a three of as it should be um it's a bear that's very good I just think that this card is the glue that makes your turn two with so many of these tribal decks hold together. Like, obviously, you know, humans gets Thalia and it gets Thalia's Lieutenant and it gets all these really powerful cards and that's great. But Modern is a, is a format that has a mana base that totally supports multicolor tribal decks as we're seeing. So this card is a sliver. I mean, this is the, this is the best sliver they've printed in a while. This card is a fairy. This card is a rogue. This card is a friggin' elf if you want it to be. I mean, I don't think you'd ever play it in an elf deck, but it, this card does so many of the things that all these decks kind of want. They want lords, and then they want kind of a, like, you know, aggressive, disruptive hate bears on their second turn of the game. And so I think go into as many three, four, and five color uh, tribal decks as you can and just slump, slam four of these down because I think it's good enough to make those decks push just to that next level. I don't think it's been explored nearly as much as it should. Yeah, like Esper Fairies or something. You get Path to Exile and you get this guy. Totally. There's like a lot. I mean, like I've talked about building a rogues deck forever because I've always loved the card in his black guard. I've just like wanted to make that work for the longest time. Um, and similar to rogues, it is a ninja. So now that there's like 
that ninja that whenever a ninja hits an opponent, you draw a card, it will draw a card. It's not evasive, so maybe maybe ninjas tried for it, but rogues maybe. <laughs> yeah, there, I, I think that this card, though, is is one that people just were like, yeah, I mean, obviously it fits into humans and um, spirits. And spirits. I've seen spirits. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do wonder, like, I've seen the, the old those older blue-white Merfolk decks. I haven't seen one in a long time. I mean, this does seem like a good card in Merfolk. Maybe Merfolk doesn't really need it. They have, like, all these lords, and if they want to play, like, a Kiora or a Coppola on turn three or something, like, they can, and that's, like, kind of better. When they were playing, um, they were playing, there's that... Coppola, that's the guy. Okay, I couldn't remember that card's name, Coppola, and I was like, "Wait, yeah. don't forget about that guy." He's kind of, he's, I mean, he's a merfolk, he's, yeah. and he's kind of better. But at the same time, he's not really better because things that cost three in that deck are wonky. Like it's always harder to get away with things that cost three in the deck. So, unsettled mirror is my final pick. Do you have one last pick before we get out of here? I do. So uh, I have a couple more left, but uh, for time, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to Alex here. Uh, if Alex was here, he I know what he would say, and I'm gonna say it for him since he's not here. It's life in the loam. That's a good choice. Alex is always a big fan of Life in the Loam uh, as like kind of a mid-range card drench. And we do see it show up in Dredge as like, this is a card I could just put one of in my deck and I'll mill it and I can draw some cards off it late in the game if I have to. Um, But like in Modern Horizons, we saw like lands matter was a theme in the set. And we saw that, you know, Ren and Six got played just because of the rate is so good as a two mana Planeswalker with like a buttload of loyalty. Um, but none of those cards have really made an impact. Like we talked about Iula's influence as being a card we thought was a little bit underplayed, but also like Molten Vortex and um, Dark Confidant and Get Rug Monster and Tireless Tracker. A lot of these lands cards are just in the format. Corsair of Crufix. Now there's Dryad of the Elysian Grove being like a, a creature that lets you play extra lands and has a big old butt. It feels like there should be some sort of like aggro loam or some sort of like Jund mid-range lands style deck in the format. And Alex is constantly grinding away at that. Uh, and I, I got to give him I got to give up life in the loam, especially with cycling lands in the format being another element that Modern Horizons added. Like you can now life in the loam to like get back a cycling land plus like a field of ruin and like a you know a Urborg or something, and then you can you can do the like Raven's Crime thing with it, or you can discard all those Tyula's influence, or you can draw a bunch of cards, or you can I mean you just have it gives you a lot of options as a card advantage engine, and it's pretty resilient because it it doesn't have to sit on the battlefield. It's not a permanent that your opponent can kill like a Planeswalker or something. Like Ren and Six is a good alternative to Life in the Loam, and it's seeing play in Jund, but like your opponent can destroy it with Assassin's Trophy or Abrupt Decay, or they can attack it with creatures or. Um, you know, I just think life in the loam is really hard to interact with. It's like resilient to counter spells, resilient to discard. The only thing that hits it is graveyard hate. But if you're not incredibly dependent on your graveyard, then the graveyard hate doesn't even matter that much. I think there's an interesting play to be made. Uh, and I don't think this deck would be that easy to construct. But I know this from Highlander. We do this because you can play Wasteland and Strip Mine. That the, the Wasteland or Strip Mine lock with life in the loam that can happen if you get it going early is not fun and really unfair for people. And the fact that we have Ren and Six also in the format means that you have another thing that on turn two kind of sets the loop up. And I do wonder in modern how many times you can just ghost quarter with one of these effects and just end the game for your opponent. There's probably a handful of decks that play like zero basics and a handful that play two to three. Yeah. So I do wonder like, what if you're in some sort of weird, like I'm going to stop you from playing the game, uh, surgical extraction, archive trap type of deck where like, you're basically trying to just like see what's in their deck, mill them out, stop their ability to search for things. I'm not sure what the right way to That's stop kind them. of interesting, but I mean, we have seen like black green rock decks playing Ghost Quarter with like life in the low. Like, I feel like we have a critical mass of cards that 
want you to play lands that we could see like a black green rock shell but built like a lands deck so with stride of the Legion grove it'll allow you to like tap your ghost quarters for colored mana so they're like barely downside at this point you have life in the loams you have get rock monster you have tireless tracker you maybe have corsair of crucifix um and then you're playing thought seizes assassin's trophies all that right. kind of stuff and with assassin's trophy and ghost quarter you can really put pressure on your opponent's basics i will say that like because of snow mana, we see a lot of decks just like leaning More on Astrolabe basics, for yeah. fixing with a lot of basics. But like against these Amulet Titan decks or Tron or something that just like definitively their lands are compressed by like these like weird combo packages or whatever, um, you can you can like blast their mana base. And if Ghost Quarters just aren't good in the matchup, you just tap them for mana and get card advantage and do your thing, right? I mean. Yeah, I think I think there's some there's some truth to it. But um, anyway, guys, that's going to wrap up all of our uh, special fun cards you should be playing in modern that you're not that should see more play. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching to another episode of the Masters of Modern podcast. As you guys can probably tell from what we're doing, we're still focusing on modern, but we're trying to sprinkle in other content about Pioneer, about other formats. Be sure to check out every single week these new videos we're doing. Ten minutes of magic. Um, you know, they're actually two to six minutes, but they're a lot of fun. And it's talking about all cool kinds of different stuff. Um, we have the hot takes that go up on Mondays and of course the video version of this show goes up Friday hit that subscribe button it's uh, it's essential for this channel as we're putting out more like unusual content throughout the week and we're trying to figure out how we can bring you guys more content uh, having notifications on is going to be a benefit to you because you'll be able to see when 10 minutes of magic goes up Um, you'll be able to see when you know the hot takes go up if we decide like sometimes Alex decides to stream onto the YouTube channel stream some magic arena you can see that he was streaming uh, a modern Get Rug Monster deck at one point uh, on in the YouTube channel so you can get notifications for all that stuff and know when we have some cool stuff happening. Yes, and the last thing I want to shout out, guys, is on February 29th in Atlanta, I will be defending my belt, the Movie Trivia Schmodown, the thing I've talked about a million times on here. If you guys have never seen a live show, the atmosphere is electric. It's an amazing experience and uh, this theater seats about 350. There's about 45 seats left. This is being talked about by most of the people in this little community as perhaps the greatest match of all time. I'm playing against basically the Michael Jordan of the league, the guy that is the three-time champ. He's the all-time player and uh, I'm trying to defend my title that I won at the end of last year. So if you've never seen one of these before and you want to go check it out and you're in Atlanta, go get yourself a ticket, uh, live.com. It's a really fun show, and I highly recommend it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Follow along on Twitter, Ben Bateman Media. I'm at Dudard, D-U-D-A-R-D-D. At the MMCast, and go check out Marsh Unfocused, and of course, Kess Wiley, our brother, who's not here. See you guys next week. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media, sending podcasts into the future.